Hey, if you turn to our text, 1 Peter chapter 5, and I'm just going to begin with with reading these verses we're, we're camping on, 1 Peter 5. It says, the elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you. And this is where we're going to camp on for this, uh, this time, but being examples to the flock. And so, Father, again, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful uh, for just the instruction you give us, Lord. We're thankful for the um, encouragement and the strength that comes from learning from you, uh, from learning, Lord, uh, truth, Lord, realizing uh, the ways and manners and, and, and methods of this world, Lord, they, they fail, they fall short, they're empty. But Lord, you give to us truth and life. And so, uh, just again, Lord, as we've been just camping on this idea of, of the shepherd, this idea of, of the servant, um, Lord, I pray that you'd uh, now continue to speak to us through this time in Jesus' name. We pray together. Amen. Amen. So, Peter, he's given this instruction to, to shepherd the church of God, and uh, at the end of verse 3 here, he tells us that shepherds, that in order to do this, in order to fulfill this calling as a shepherd, that they need to become examples to the flock. Tony was sharing with us a lot of wonderful examples of what a servant looks like, and servanthood is certainly characteristic of a shepherd, uh, but how much the... the the characteristic of being an example speaks to the characteristic of a shepherd. Uh, there is a, there's a, a journalist, he's an author, his name's Robert Moore. Um, he's written for some of the top magazine publications, places like GQ, he's written for The New Yorker. Uh, he wrote a bestseller book called On Trails. I haven't read it, but I, I reviewed a little bit of it. Uh, basically, it's, it's his story of he, he, he did a seven-year journey hiking the Appalachian Trail, just slowly making his way all the way through, stopping, meeting people, you know, just immersing himself in whatever place he was for seven years. And uh, the, the book is about that story. Well, at some point during that journey, uh, he met this Navajo couple who were uh, sheep herders, sheep breeders, and he ends up spending almost a month with them and he was learning from them how to be a shepherd. He had no experience of this at all, just, you know, this was sort of the thing that he, he, he was learning from them. And at, uh, he assumed when he went into it that being a shepherd would be pretty easy. You know, that he would just sort of start walking and, you know, all the sheep would line up behind him and follow. But he learned very quickly it's not as simple as he first expected. For example, he talks of how on the very first day of shepherding, um, it didn't go well. That from the moment he, the, the, the sheep first slipped out of the pen, they started wandering 
just everywhere and wouldn't follow him. By 10 a.m., he managed to lose track of every single one of the sheep under his care. <laughs> Sounds like some pastors, you know. No. Uh, he, he noted <laughs> that he learned, uh, the things he learned, he learned sheep were headstrong, that they're very independent, that they get distracted very easily, that they're sort of frantically energetic, but also at the same time they're lackadaisical, and very often they're self-absorbed. And he, his observation was that without good shepherding, sheep would quickly wander. And it's interesting, Isaiah tells us that. He says, you know, uh, we are all like sheep, we've all turned away, we've all go, gone our own ways. The idea is that we too are prone to wander on our own if we don't have a good shepherd. Now, he goes on to explain that one of the most important aspects of leading sheep is by being a good example to them. I'm sure you guys have heard it, uh, that unlike cattle, you know, sheep can't be driven to, bring, to direct them and to bring them from places to places. You can't, you know, push them from behind. You can't take a whip and, and you know, lash out at them, beating the sheep aren't going to get them where they need to go. Um, if you do those sort of things, if you prod them for a certain direction, they're just going to scurry off in fear, and they won't trust you, and they won't do anything that you tell them to do. And what he discovered is that the only effective way to direct sheep is by leading them, by going before them and creating an example to them of how they should walk and where they should go. That you need to serve as an example to the flock in order to effectively care for it. In order to be an effective shepherd, an effective leader, you need to be a servant for those that are entrusted to you. Going before as an example. And that's what Peter's telling us here. This word example, when he says be an example to the flock, uh, it, the, the, the actual descriptor of the word is it's, it's kind of like a sculpture or an image that is used as a model to represent something. So, for example, you think of maybe in ancient times when they had the war rooms, you know, when they had these tables set out and, and they would have, you know, little um, depictions of maybe the landscape of a battlefield that they're about to, to go war on. They have, you know, set up the tents and of the encampment of their enemies. They have sort of the, the hills and, and the makeup of, of the terrain, and, and they would take their little figurines and kind of walk through, here's the steps of where we're going to go. There's this model that's set up to, to you know, exemplify what's actually going to be taking place before them. And, and that's the same word that's being used here that there's a model that has, that's been formed to be representative to someone of something else. There's sort of this, you know, uh, pattern. There's this uh, example that is given that you look at someone, you look at somebody, and you can see how you yourself are supposed to walk and how you're supposed to go. And that's what Peter's instructing of us. He's saying that people should look at us. They should look at our lives and that from that, they should see a model, they should see a pattern, they should see an example that they can observe of us that they themselves can follow. Peter is saying that we should be a model to others of what it looks like to follow Jesus. So what does that practically mean? You know, what does it mean to be an example? Uh, I want to turn with you guys to 1 Timothy chapter 4 to learn 
in what way we're supposed to be examples. 1 Timothy 4. Just verse 12, we'll start there. Let no one despise your youth, but notice, be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. I know this verse is often a favorite of the youth ministries, right? You know, you see this um, great text for, for kids or for teens to aim for. But the funny thing about this verse is that as Paul writes this to Timothy, Timothy's no kid at this point. He's not a teen. He's likely in his late 20s, maybe even in his 30s at this point. And Timothy's been walking with the Lord and serving in ministry for years. At the time Paul's writing this, you know, to him, he's uh, the pastor of a church. He's a shepherd. And the church of Ephesus, you know, one of the most dynamic and, and impactful churches at that time. So understand, this is not just some verse for teens, right? When we read this, this is something that should be applied to all of us. And the idea of, hey, don't let anyone despise your youth, it simply implies, look, don't let some perceived inadequacy keep you from fulfilling this instruction of being an example. Paul says you don't have to be aged to be an example. That's not a matter of how long you've been walking the Lord with the Lord, whether or not you could be an example a pattern to others. It doesn't matter how much Bible knowledge you have. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor or if you're a ministry leader or if you're not. It doesn't matter if you have a title of serving in ministry or not, or if you're serving or not. Every one of us, he's saying, regardless of age, regardless of experience, from the youngest of us to the most experienced of us, can be an example. You know, I became a pastor when I was 21. I became senior pastor when I was 25, and, and I learned very quickly, man, age has nothing to do with God's calling in our lives. It doesn't matter how, how old we are or how experienced. When God has a calling in our lives, his callings are yes and amen. His promises are yes and amen. And whatever he calls us to, he's going to be faithful to. I mean, we talked about David last night. Little shepherd boy, you're going to defeat Goliath. You're going to be the king of Israel. We learned about Joseph, a slave and prisoner. And yet God says, no, I have a, call, a calling in your life. Don't let anyone despise your, your youth or your title or any of those things. Paul's saying we should all seek to be examples. I have three kids at home. Uh, my oldest, uh, my daughter Mia, she's nine years old. Um, she plays volleyball. And uh, every week when we go over to practice or we go to prepare for a game, one of the things we, we often talk about is, you know, her seeking to be a leader on her team. Even though she has sometimes kids that are two, three, four years older than her, talking to her about, you know, how she can demonstrate the, the quality characteristics of, of Christ to her team as a leader. And, you know, we go through the conversation, Mia, do you want to be a follower or do you want to be a leader? You know, do you want to just do what all the other girls are doing? And some of them, as they're getting older, they're doing things that are not of the Lord. Or do you want to be a, an example to them? And we talk about, you know, uh, how she can even, uh, at her age, be an example. And, she, and it's wonderful because she goes to her practices. She goes to her, you know, her, her games. And she really tries to be an example of Christ to them. It's a beautiful thing. And so age is irrelevant, and that's what we, we see this verse. Paul says, don't let anyone despise your youth. Be an example 
And I want you to notice how. He begins first by saying, being an example in word, in word. So the scripture gives much instruction, we know, concerning our speech, the things we say. It warns us against, you know, filthy language, lying, flattery. It it tells us, you know, not to shout in anger, not to have outbursts of wrath, or to be mindful of of things that we say to others that can be harmful to them and, and hurt them. James says that the tongue's like a fire, right? That it has the capacity to bless, but it also has the capacity to harm. Jesus says it this way. He says, for every idle word we speak, one day we're going to stand before the Lord and give an account for those things that we said. So we need to be an example in our speech. And, and not just not a bad example. Of course, we don't want to just we don't want to be that, but that with our words, what are we doing? We're leading people to Jesus. That the things we're talking about is not just, you know, uh, what's happening in the sports world. It's not just March Madness. It's not just what's happening in work and career and all those things. No, others should be hearing from us about Jesus. That we're an example in our speech. That others should hear of his goodness and his faithfulness in our lives that we should tell others the loss about the gospel, of how they can know Jesus, how they can follow him, how they can seek him and grow in him. Paul's saying people in our lives should hear from us the hope that's found in Christ, of his love and his grace, how they can follow him too. Again, I mentioned this last night, but it's, it's interesting to think that sheep learn to follow their shepherd's voice. That they learn to love their shepherd's voice. And that certainly comes from trusting his voice, right? That they find comfort and assurance in his word. That they trust what he says. And no doubt that's developed as a shepherd is an example to his sheep. And so, no doubt, the idea of being an example is in our speech. How important it is. Not just say, well, I believe in Jesus and, and, you know, I go to church and I worship and yes and amen. And as Pastor Tony was saying, uh, we get in the car on the way home from church and yelling at the kids, you know, fighting with the wife. We get to work and, you know, all they're hearing is griping. No, be an example in speech. Be an example, he says, in conduct. So I know you've heard it said, actions speak louder than words, no doubt. You know, we can say all the right things, but if you're actually not living it, others are not going to follow it. <laughs> and again, it's interesting, those sheep eventually learn to recognize and follow their shepherd's voice. You can't, also can't start leading sheep just by telling them what to do. You know, you can't simply tell sheep, okay, go over there. Sheep are not going to listen if you're just only preaching at them all the time. Sheep are not going to follow, you know, if, if we're just, you know, even, even if we're making promises, hey, you go there, there's a great reward, there's great green pasture over there, go that way. They're not interested. No, sheep learn by example, by following. It's interesting, one of the things that, 
that author I mentioned, he discovered in, in, in the shepherding experiment is that sheep are excellent observers. For example, biologists, they've discovered that sheep, that their facial recognition is on par with that of humans. They've, they've learned that they can memorize the faces of more than 50 sheep, and they can demonstrate recognition of those same sheep two years later, even from photographs taken of a, of a different sheep of different angles of them. So they could have met a sheep two years ago. Two years later, they'll see a photo of that sheep and they can recognize it. That's how uh, observable they are. They say the same uh, ability not only happens with sheep with other sheep, but also sheep with faces of humans. When they see their shepherd, they know it's him. And so what does that tell us? Sheep are not just listeners. (laughs) They're watchers. They're watching to see if the shepherd is walking the very things he's telling them. Watching to see if the shepherd is in fact trustworthy. You know, uh, can this example he lays out to me truly be trusted? Is this someone I really want to follow? And the reality is, is we're all, our lives are being watched more than we ever know it. If you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. You know, sometimes you see your, man, I, my little daughter, she's two years old. She's, I wouldn't say she's in the terrible twos. She's more like the terrorist twos. <laughs> you know, it's, she's next level compared to my other two. But man, the other day we were, I, was, I said to, hey, Zoe, come over here. She rolls her eyes and turns away and walks away. And they, well, where did she learn to roll her eyes like that? Her mom, of course. No. <laughs> I mean, that's where she got it, but. <laughs> yeah. Cut that out, cut that out. This is a men's retreat, guys. Come on, we can do that kind of stuff. What happens at the men's retreat stays at the... All right, we all, we're good, we're good. But, you know, they're, they're mimickers. Others are watching and they're following our examples, whether we realize it or not, whether we want them to or not. And they're looking at our conduct, They're looking at our behavior. They're looking at how we react to situations. And if we're not living what we preach, it doesn't matter how much we say, it compromises our witness for Jesus. And so being an example, and it's far more than words. People should be able to observe our lives. They should be able to observe our lifestyle. They should be able to observe our attitudes, our conduct, our actions, and when they see us, they should say, man, there is something true and joyful in reminding me of Jesus in that person's life. Paul says being an example in conduct. Being an example in love. You know, one of the things that clearly sets Christians apart from this world is that we have received the love of Christ. And whether or not the world knows it, whether or not they admit it, the world is looking for that love. And again, we can just sort of step back and look and, and, you know, we see it. We see the way people in this world, they're searching for love. The way they're searching for fulfillment. We see the emptiness they have when they're looking for that in vain things that cannot give that to them. It was the uh, Christian philosopher 
Blaise Pascal, he infamously said, there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the creator made known through Jesus Christ. And more and more, you just see the world and you say, man, I've seen that to be true. You know, you see guys who, they think they're going to find love in their careers or in how much money they make or how much success they have and their ambitions and time and time again, they get burnt out by it. They turn to the bottle because they're so inundated with stress and, you know, overwhelmed or they, or they you know, try to find love in all, all the wrong places. You see, you know, um, people scouring dating sites to find love because they're empty, they're alone. The world's searching for true love, and yet empty and wanting. I mean, look at, we, we talked about the greatest in our cultures. You know, you look at some of the, the greatest musicians, some of the greatest athletes, some of the greatest actors throughout history, and how many of them OD, how many of them suicide, how many of them, you know, uh, their lives are wrecked from debauchery or all sorts of things, and, and they had it all, and yet they had nothing. They were empty. No, they were seeking love. And again, whether they know it or not, the world is craving God's love. Again, I thought this was interesting, um, but that same author observed that sheep crave a good shepherd they can follow. That innately they're looking for someone to guide them to green pastures, someone to guide them to a healthy, enriching, satisfying life, someone who, who they can have their care entrusted to, someone who will tend to them and nurture them and feed them. That, that's the general nature of sheep and that with, without a good shepherd, they tend to become aimless and they even describe them as becoming depressed. They're not healthy. They're not motivated to, you know, uh, produce or to even travel to find good, good soil or whatnot. And so, you know, here we are, you and I, we have this unique and distinct privilege of sharing with others Christ's love because we have received it ourselves. And, and, and the church is the only thing in this world that can provide that for them. They can't purchase that. They can't look to the world to do that. The only, what God has employed in, in the days we live in to reveal his love to this world are you and me. And so, Paul says, be an example in love. In fact, Jesus would say it this way. He says, look, the world's going to know that we are his disciples. How? By our love one for another. Jesus says that the most effective way for the world to come to know him, it's not by dynamic preachers. It's not by church outreach programs. It's not by big evangelical crusades. No, it's by the body of Christ showing to them the love of Christ. That is the greatest evangelical tool in the world today. You and I going to our neighbors, going to our coworkers, going to our family, and sharing with them the love of Jesus. He says, be an example in love. He goes on, be an example in spirit. To be examples of Christ, certainly we need to be spiritual men, amen? 
We need to be spirit-led. We need to be spirit-filled. We need to be attending to what we'd call spiritual duties, and we'll talk about that more in just a moment in the next verse. But it's interesting. There's a number of scholars, they see this word spirit here, and they take it to understand that it's speaking more so of things like vigor, things like energy, things like vitality, things like enthusiasm. And the idea sort of is this, that as examples of Christ, you and I should be enthusiastic about our faith. We should be enthusiastic about Jesus, that he's not just another part of our lives, but that he is our life and that he's the the breath of our lives and that people see that life exuding from us. One commentator, he says it this way, he says, enthusiasm for Christ is a quality strangely lacking from the makeup of many Christians. He says, there's plenty of enthusiasm for a football match or for an election campaign but so little of it for the service of God. He says the the magnificent enthusiasm of the Christian scientist or the Jehovah's Witness or the communist should put Christians to shame. And then he goes on, he says, oh, that there'd once again be a flaming zeal in the church. And I'm grateful because I see guys, I'm hearing you worship and, and man, there's zeal for Jesus here. And that's a wonderful thing. But the, the, the reality is that, you know, much of the church, you know, going through the motions, you know, checking in, checking out, filling the, the attendance box, doing my obligatory duties and sort of just going on with the rest of the life. And I might just say as followers of Christ, man, we have so much to be zealous for. We have Jesus. We have his life in our lives. We have his joy. We have peace, regardless of circumstance. We have his love. When we're weak, he gives us strength. And you and I, we've been eternally saved. The world is not our home. Heaven awaits us. Christ is coming back for us. We have a lot to take joy in and to show, show the joy of the Lord to this world. Amen? We, are, we have the light of this world. And Jesus says, man, let that light shine. Let people see what is true in your life. Let them see the life, the, the vitality, the vibrancy of knowing Jesus. That they might also come to know his love. Be an example in spirit, be an example in faith. Again, this speaks of practicing what we preach. You know, the idea is we shouldn't just have a head knowledge, that we should live out what, what, what we believe, truly live it out, that our lives should demonstrate that we trust in Christ, that we walk by faith and not by sight, that we should be found faithful as we follow Christ. That's our example, that even when there's difficulty in our lives, even when there's adversity, when there's, there's trials or when there's hardships, that we stand fast in our faith. That we don't waver in our faith. You know, we're not, that we would have that example that Tony shared about, you know, we don't want to be up and down, up and down, up and down. We want to be steadfastly following the Lord, even through the most difficult of times. That the example we have to this world is, is that, man, even when things are tough, we trust in the Lord. 
and we're looking to and we're holding fast to his promises and he's going to take care of us and work things out. That we take faith in knowing that he, he is a present help in our time of need. That whatever that, this trial is, whatever this battle is, whatever this issue is, it doesn't have to capsize me. It doesn't have to wreck my faith. You know, it doesn't have to hijack my emotions. Man, I, I am secure in Christ. I can abound, I can abase, and yet I can be content in all things because I have Christ. That when we're weary, we can find rest in him. That we stand fast knowing that when we're burdened, we can cast our cares upon him. When we're weak, we can rely on his grace to keep us strong. And again, you know, I can look back on my life and, and, and my witness, or as I look at, you know, even the witnesses of others and many of you, one of the great, this is to me one of the greatest ways we are an example of Christ to this world. You know, it's when they see our faith when we're in the fire. When they see our faith through adversity. If you, you know, a few years ago, we all saw it through the whole COVID thing, Right? I mean, you saw it in the world, the fear, the worry, the depression, the anger. The world was, was captive to its feelings. And, you know, at the same time, I also had more open conversations, more opportunities to share Christ with believers in that time than ever before. Why? Because they would look at you and I, well, you're not freaking out like everyone else, <laughs> What do you mean you're not just going to follow toe in line with all the mandates and instructions and just hide it away for the next five years of your life? Because <laughs> we're not afraid. This, this world is not our home. We have Christ. And if, what's the worst that can happen to us? You're going to give me heaven? Oh, man. <laughs> I know. And I don't know about you, but I saw more lukewarm Christians seek out a deeper faith in the last couple of years than ever before in my lifetime. More people hungry and questioning. Why? Because in their adversity, they found what? The world doesn't have the answers that they need. That's not the example. That's not the model that was going to satisfy. The government wasn't assuring them. Fauci wasn't their example. No. The hope that, that can be found is in Christ and Christ alone. And so understand that when we go through adversity, God even at times ordains or allows those things as a testimony so that we could be examples of Christ to this world. That like the psalmist would say in Psalm 23, we can say, you know, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to fear. Why? Because my good shepherd's with me. He's with me every step. An example in faith. Be an example in purity. I'm sure every one of you have seen this in some form or fashion. How many of us, you know, we've witnessed um, guys, you know, that their lives have been destroyed because of impurity? 
more and more, you know, it seems like almost every day we're hearing this mega church pastor or that mega church pastor or this well-known influenced, you know, Christian influencer and so forth, one after another being dismissed or falling because of some sort of moral failure, some impurity in their lives. How many people... Uh, sadly are then burned and bruised because that person who they followed was not an example in purity. How many sheep's faith crumble because some shepherd was not an example in purity? How many homes, children's lives are, you know, set on a very shaky foundation because Dad was not an example of purity. Certainly, you know, purity is one of the most difficult battles that every one of us men face. With, you know, the accessibility to stumbling. With uh, the acceptability in our culture now of, of ungodly lifestyles and ungodly relationships. That it's, it's fine, you know, to live with your girlfriend. You know, it's encouraged to, to explore pornographic material. <laughs> you know, the, the society thinks it's, it's fine to, to identify however you want to identify or to feel or believe and do whatever you want to do. How easy it is uh, to even hide in the days we live in our impurity from others. And you know, we can be doing things privately in our home and, and no one knows, not even our, our spouse or our kids. We can, you know, be in sin Saturday night and Sunday morning walking and no one has a clue. How, how challenging it is with the innate, just lustful nature that you and I wrestle with day by day. Sexual morality, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, no doubt. It's one of the biggest challenges we all battle. And yet Paul says, be an example in purity. So what does it look like to be an example in purity? Well, for one, an example of purity begins with repentance. You know, if there's any impurity in our lives, we need to confess that to the Lord. We can't hide in it. We can't continue in it. We can't just accept it. Uh, we need to repent. We need to get rid of it. If we're looking at stuff, man, it needs to be thrown out today. It needs to be deleted. It needs, it needs to be blocked out of our lives. If, if you're in an immoral relationship, you need to stop today. An example of purity is repentance of these things. I remember when I was uh, in high school, and uh, I had only known the Lord for a year or two at that point, but man, Jesus really got a, a hold of my life, and, and I was really trying to steadfastly seek him. Well, I had come out of sort of a pretty ungodly lifestyle, all, all sorts of things. One of the things particularly was music. I was really into some really vile and filthy, you know, hip-hop music and things like that. And uh, I remember I was driving in my car one day, a couple, you know, a year or so after I got saved, maybe even less than that, 
And uh, I had one of these CDs of, of, you know, this music I used to listen to, and it was just trash, and, but I used to love the beats, and I'm a big music buff, so I was always into, you know, rhythms and all that stuff. And, you know, I'm sitting there, and I'm listening to it, and then all of a sudden I start hearing the lyrics. I'm, you know, you have these songs sort of burn in the back of your head, so you're mouthing along, and I'm now listening to the very things I'm saying and to the things they're saying, and I just, it hit me. What is this disgusting stuff? So I popped, yeah, there were CDs back then, but I popped out the CD, rolled down the window, just threw it out the window as I'm driving. <laughs> My friend, what in the world did you just do? I took all the rest of the CDs, I started throwing them out the window. I said, I can't listen to this stuff anymore. I can't be sitting in this car next to you listening to this stuff, and I, I, don't want, I can't be sitting near the Lord hearing me sing these things. It's got to go. I'm not going to wait until I get home to put it in the trash. I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'll probably have an excuse not to. How much money I spent on those things. Look, it's, what does the scripture say? Flee youthful lusts. That means run as fast and as far and as quick as you can. Get rid of it. Being an example of purity, you know, again, you think about the example of the shepherd who's lowly, who's humble. Shepherds humble themselves to do what it's right. So, the challenge might be that as I want to be an example of purity is, will I have the humility to trust the Lord and in obedience seek accountability? Am I willing to talk to a brother and say, you know what, this has been a struggle in my life. I need prayer. I need, I, I need someone to check in on me. I need, I need you to help, help me from stumbling in this thing which so easily besets me. You know, if we desire that liberty for others, that, or that freedom from those things, so we also need to be an example of it ourselves. Someone who's humble. Well, he says, he goes on here, verse 13, he says, for those who have served well, oh, I'm sorry, that's chapter 3, uh, chapter 4, verse 13, till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Paul tells Timothy that to be an example to others, we are to be an example in the word of God. Guys, we should be men of God's word. We should be daily reading God's word. We should be studying the word. We should be those who are giving attention to growing in the knowledge of God's word. And, and, and guys, let me just say, that is a rare thing in Christendom today. I mean, we are spoiled as part of the Calvary Chapel movement because that's what we do and that's sort of all we know. But more and more, churches are leaving the Word of God. They're raising up teachers to itch their ears because they can't endure sound doctrine, Paul would say in his in second letter to Timothy. And maybe for some of you, you know, getting the Word, maybe it, you know, the breath of it is maybe this, maybe a Sunday morning. But let me challenge you to make growing in the Word of God a priority. I know your pastor. I know your church. I know you guys are blessed because there is a large premium placed on the Word of God. And you have many opportunities throughout the week for you to gather with your church, to gather with a brother, to meet with men, and to grow in the Word. And so he says, give attention to this. Give diligence to this in your life. As you want to be an example 
of a shepherd. As you want others to see Christ in you, make growing in the word of God the priority of your lives. Be an example to men that you're a man of his word and share that with others. He says, verse 14, do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on the hands of the eldership. So again, Timothy, he's serving the Lord in the role of a pastor at this point. Um, seemingly at some point when he was appointed to and anointed to this calling, uh, the men of the church, they gathered, they laid hands on him. Uh, it seems as though there was a prophetic um, word spoken over Timothy's life and that there were certain gifts given to him, which would make sense because, you know, if he's going to serve the Lord, <laughs> there's certain giftings you need by the Lord to do it, especially if you're going to serve as a pastor. You know, you need to be able to teach the word. You need to have discernment to watch the sheep. You need to, you know, uh, have the, the, the care and tenderness that a shepherd needs to have. And so, you know, what essentially um, Paul is telling Timothy here is that if we're going to be shepherds, certainly we need to be uh, faithfully fulfilling the things God has called us to do. You know, Tony, he did an awesome job exhorting us to be servants. And Paul here is reminding Timothy, look, God has anointed you to serve the Lord. God gifted you, Timothy. God has equipped you for the ministry he's called you to. And let me just say, I, I believe that each one of us have been called to serve the Lord. We might not all be called, as Tony said, to be pastors and you know, leading a church or things of that nature, but no doubt the Lord has called each one of us to serve him. And he seeks not just to call us, but he wants to gift us and he wants to equip us to serve him, even in ways that we can't do in our own. You know, maybe not everyone's called to be here to be a pastor, but maybe God has that calling in your life someday. Me, there's no way, Lord. And I said that for a long time. <laughs> but it, the Lord, it, the things he calls us to, he's going to equip us to do it. He's going to gift us to do it. Maybe some of us here... Maybe you've not been serving the Lord. Maybe you're unsure of what to do. And, and again, I just want to encourage you. These are just practical things. Seek out a pastor. Seek out a brother. Have some guys lay hands on you and pray for you. And I trust that the Lord's going to speak to and direct you in, in how to serve him.